I will take my time, but I think this should hopefully be fairly straightforward and um, helpful to you guys. You know, it's interesting. Uh, so my title is God is Our Refuge. We're going to be looking actually at a lot of different scriptures, um, and we're going to be making some interesting conclusions based on this. But the reason this message came about, I always like to give a little context as to how I think about these things. But there's a song, and I won't sing it for you because that's not my specialty. There's a song by Fred Hammond. It's called God is My Refuge. I encourage you to go listen to it. It's actually great, and it's the live version. Go listen to that one. Anyway, I was listening to the song, and he takes um, lyrics from Psalm 18 and, and also Psalm 46.1. And he talks about the fact that God is our refuge and strength, and then he says a very present help in time of trouble. I don't know about you guys. This has been a, a rough year. It's been a, a very busy year. And I, I, I love scripture and the fact that it constantly reminds us of who our help is. So we're going to get into this. Um, and again, I'm going to be reading a bunch of scripture. Uh, and I will give them to you, but I'll read them for you so you don't have to turn everywhere. But if you want to write them down, it's great. So when you think about a refuge, a refuge is a condition of being safe. So if you ever ever use that word refuge, like this is my refuge. Some might say this is my sanctuary. Some call their homes that. I don't know if there's a place that you go to escape to get away from people or things. (laughs) That is considered a refuge. But it's a shelter or the place or the condition of being safe. And I like this part because it's from the pursuit of danger. Or trouble. So it's not just somewhere you run, like you know the, the term refugee. So where it comes from? What are they escaping from? Usually ch- harm in their um, origin country. So if I give you some context on uh, the Psalms, this particular one is written by David, um, and you can see it in Second Samuel 22:3. So there's a parallel though between John 18, excuse me, Psalm 18, and Second Samuel. It's the same. But it says this. I'll read it for you. I'm going to read Psalm 18, 2 to 3. If you want to turn there, great. If not, again, I'll read it for you. But it says, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. And I like this part. It says, I call upon the Lord, who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. Now, some of you who know my Aunt Frida know that she did a song with these lyrics. So that constantly plays in my mind, actually, when I, see, when I read this. But if I had to give a headline to this before we go any farther, I want you to know that God is a massive, unshakable foundation and source of protection. I'll say that again. God is a massive unshakable foundation and source of protection. Why is that important? Because, again, we've got to remember our home base. I do message training, part of my job. I go and train um, executives um, before they get in front of the media and, uh, or speaking engagement. It's part of what I do. So anyway, I did one this week with the CTO and the chief people officer of a company. And um, one of the foundational points that I tell them when I'm helping them to know how to deliver effective messages. I say, know your home base. And that basically means know your three key messages, right? Like know a couple of things. 
And so when we just think about um, our home base, we know that God is it. There's a couple of, there's no other sort of place we should run or hide to where we should go to him. All right, so first let's just take a look. The word refuge, where does that even show up in the Bible? You heard that it's a condition of being safe, right? And it's a shelter from the pursuit of danger. You first see it in Numbers chapter 23. And in Numbers, excuse me, did I say 23? I meant 35. Sorry. Numbers 35, you find that there are six towns that were given to the Levites. And these were cities of refuge. And these were established places that you could go to if you accidentally killed someone. Now you're like, okay, uh, what does that mean? But again, these were hiding places from the avenger so that the person who was accused of murder, again, accidental, would not be killed before they were due to a fair trial. Now, if you were caught outside of these cities, had you murdered someone? Accidentally. Not on purpose, but accidentally. There was, sorry, you basically weren't safe. You had no protection. And the avenger could, could kill you. And again, this is rooted in the tension between customary tribal law, which stated that retaliation... Um, in which your blood relative could carry out, they were obligated basically to execute vengeance on that person who accidentally killed, you know, your relative. So there was tension between that and then civil law, which was then to be carried out by an assembly according to a standard code of justice. So again, that idea of a fair trial. So again, if you didn't flee to this city, there was no protection from that avenger. And you had to stay there if you made it um, until the high priest died. Now, I'm just going to give you a few of the cities. You might have heard of these. Kadesh, Golan, Ramoth, Bezer, Hebron, and Shechem. Those were the six. That's Kadesh, Barnea, um, Golan, Ramoth, Bezer, Hebron, and Shechem. And you can read that in Numbers 35. So you also then see this, if you jump over to Joshua, you see that in Chapter 20. So I just want to give you that context. Again, we're talking about refuge. So that was the place where these folks could get refuge. Okay. Uh, Now I want us to look at Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy chapter 33, I keep saying 23. Don't know why. Um, I think I have Michael Jordan on the brain. Um, Again, I work with Jordan, so that's that's why. Okay. Um, So in Deuteronomy 33, You see blessings on the tribe of Israel with Moses, by Moses. These are his final words. And it says, I'll read it for you, verse 27. It says, the eternal God is your refuge. And underneath are the everlasting arms. Say that one more time. The eternal God is your refuge. And underneath are the the everlasting arms. That word in Hebrew, and I'm probably going to butcher this, is moxeh. M-A-C-H-C-E-C-E-H. And that's a place of refuge. It's also found in a couple other areas, and I want us to read those. Again, this idea of hiding place. And I want us to take a, a look at how we transition from cities of refuge, where folks go, to God being our refuge. It said the eternal God, right, is your refuge, right, in 33. Deuteronomy 33, you see that shift from now talking about this blessing on the tribes of Israel 
you now see the fact that they're saying God is actually that place for you. So Psalm 14, 6 says, You would shame the plans of the poor, but the Lord is his refuge. Psalm 46, 1 says, God is our refuge and strength. I just, just sang this one. Well, I didn't sing it, but read it to you. But it says, A very present help in time of trouble. And I like the other two verses that come right after it. It says, therefore, uh, and that word, for those of you that like to study, that connector word, um, I like that goes back to looking at that verse before. But it says, we won't fear because of that. Knowing that God is our present help in trouble, we're not going to fear. Though the earth should change. Now think about that. Um, This was talking about natural disasters here. If you read that whole psalm, um, there were real natural disasters that the earth shouldn't change, right? Uh, And it says, and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, again, there were real natural disasters happening, though its waters roar and foam. Psalm 62. Again, a lot of places in the psalms do you see God being considered a refuge, a source of strength in time of trouble, the hiding place, and the protector of God's people. I want us to remember today that that's what God is for us. He's a very present help. He's not a past help. He's a present help. It says, on God, this is Psalm 62, 7 and 8, rests my salvation and my glory, my mighty rock. If you have your Bible, underline that word rock. My refuge is God, because we're going to circle back to that. And then if you think about the book of Isaiah, in reference to the branch of the Lord glorified, um, there is also a verse that talks about that God would be both the booth for shade for the day and from the heat. So that protector, not only is he a protector from harm, he's a protector from, again, the heat, the shade. And then it also says that he's a refuge and a shelter from the storm and the rain. So God being all of those characteristics for us. If you think about rain as a metaphor, have you ever heard the phrase, when it rains, it pours? And if you don't know what that means, that essentially means that when you have something going on, it could be good or bad, it tends to be followed by 15 other things within the same time period. So that could be a good or bad situation, depending on what it is, right? You could have too much crop, right? So that's great, an abundance, but then you got to figure out who's going to pull it all together. Uh, you might have too much money. Uh, where are you going to put it? <laughs> or you might have too many problems. Your car seems to be the main issue, right? And it just won't act right when it rains, it pours. And there's this other word, also um, Hebrew, but it also means a shelter covering, but it's manok, M-A-N-O-C, and I might be pronouncing this wrong. But we see that in the, where it was in 2 Samuel 22.3, where it references that verse I originally read to you guys um, in Psalm 18, where it said that the Lord is my rock and my fortress. This is where David <coughs> is talking talking about, and it's understood to summarize the testimony of his life um, in retrospect. And it states that David is being delivered from the hands of his enemies, and in particular Saul as well. 
So you see that in 2 Samuel chapter 23. 22. See? Keep saying 23. My goodness, you guys. Um, Psalm 59. We're going to read one more verse. 16. So just write the verse down. And again, if you want any of my notes, I can give them to you. But it says that I will sing of your strength. Again, David continuing to praise God as our refuge and strength. But it says, I will sing of your strength. I will sing aloud of your steadfast love in the morning. For you have been a fortress and refuge in the day of my distress. Again, how many of you can raise your hand, and I actually want you to raise your hand, and say that God has somehow helped you in a time of distress? All of us, right? Should we praise him for that? Should we praise him even if he hasn't? But even more so because he has, right? We all have um, examples in our own lives where we can say, you know what, God, you really were my protector there. You really were my shield. You were my hiding place. And because of that, I will yet praise you. And that is the prayer and the gratitude in David's heart. And I want us, as we think about the end of the year, to remember that, that, that God, despite everything we've got going on, despite the good, despite the bad, despite the craziness of the world, that he remains the same. He remains our source of safety. He remains our protector and our firm foundation. Okay, so again, we see that God is being um, considered and applied, this word refuge is applied to God for his people. He's a covering for his people. But I also want you to notice something else. There's another word. I'm going to read Psalm 18 for you one more time. It's the first thing that David calls out. Excuse me, I'm short of breath because of my sinuses. Um, It says, the Lord is my rock. I want to focus on that word rock. I've actually never studied this like this or seen it like this, so I thank God for this um, new piece. But I titled this, the Lord is our, excuse me, the Lord is our refuge or God is our refuge. But I almost want to add something that I didn't add, which is the Lord is our rock and refuge. And what I mean by that is that if you think about a rock, and I don't have one here, but you guys all know what they are. Did any of you guys used to, like, throw rocks as kids? I don't know what it is about rocks that kids love to pick up and throw. Like, it's just like a natural thing you just want to do. But what is the characteristics of a rock? If you pick it up, can you snap it in half really easily? Now, if you're, you know, Samson or someone, yes, then you could probably do that and crush it with your hand if you're Superman, right? Um, But we don't have that superpower. But if we were to look at a rock and hold it and try to break it, can you break it? No. What do you have to do to break it? Brute force. You know when people have to, like, dig up cement? What do they use? A jackhammer. That thing is massive to try to drill into the fact that a rock is not broken by just your touch. And if we were to look at God as that rock, he's our solid foundation. So not only is he your refuge, your protector, but he's the rock. He is your firm foundation. So everything has to be rooted in him. It's tough. It's not easily broken. It's not easily malleable. That word means that you can kind of shape and form it like clay, right? You can't do that with a rock. In the book of Exodus, it talks about Um, And it will come about while my glory is passing. 
but I will put you in the cleft of the rock. That's what God says he's going to do for us. In the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand. My favorite verse in scripture is this next one, which is Deuteronomy 32, verse 4. This is one that I keep in the back of my mind. And it just says he is the rock. His works are perfect. That means everything God does is right, right? And all his ways are justice, meaning everything he does is fair. A faithful God who does no wrong. Upright and just is he. So remembering who our home base is, right? God. Remembering that he's our refuge. He's our source of protection. And he's our firm foundation. Now, I love hearing about Brother Jerry and Sister Michelle's building efforts. And I'm going to apply a little analogy here, which you will see in Scripture, and we'll read that too. But what happens, and also I love HGTV. I think I'm showing my, now the fact that I'm growing up in age, I love a good home improvement show. Uh, (laughs) Especially the Property Brothers. Just love them. But, um, so right now, uh, I was watching an episode, and they are, it's two twin brothers, um, they are building one of the brothers' new homes because he's about to get married. So it's going to be the home for him and his soon-to-be wife. Um, And they bought this beautiful 1920s house in Los Angeles. It's gorgeous. However, they start to strip away, and what they want to do is, if you think about 1920 to today, it's going to need some upgrades. So they're in there, and they're trying to uh, take a look at what they can salvage, right? Because, you know, you want some of that 1920s charm. Um, but as they start digging and lifting up the floors, they notice that there is an unleveled foundation. And what do you think they should do, A, keep building, or B, fix it? Fix it. That's right. Look at you guys are already builders. Let's go out and build something. Um, yes, they should fix it. Why? Because the second they put all that work into that house, if the foundation is not correct, what's going to happen? It's going to crumble. Now, it's in L.A., which means you have extra protocol because we have earthquakes. So not only do they have to just fix it, they have to make sure it's earthquake-proof. So now they have to go through, and they find that the whole foundation is, is a mess, and they have to spend an additional 50000 just to fix the foundation. But that's the upfront cost. If we think about our base and our salvation and knowing who God is, he is that firm foundation. Anything else that we try to build our house on won't stand. And some of us have been trying to live off a broken foundation. And some of us have been trying to be our own refuge. And I'm guilty of that too sometimes, right? You're like, God, come on. I got it. But we have to, again, remember the home base, that he's the source of our strength, and he's our firm foundation. Psalm 40, verse 2 says that he set my feet on a rock. There's that word again. And it says making my steps secure. So that there's an idea that the rock is so strong that nothing can break it. And if we build our foundation on Jesus, the rock, possibilities are endless. God can do whatever he's going to do, but he's going to continually keep you. No matter the distress, no matter the heartache, no matter the fact that we want to see people saved, and they aren't, 
that we want people to act right, but they don't. That we want money, but some, that's probably not what he's look, trying to give us, right? But he might, right? Um, that we want all of these things, but knowing that if we have our eyes focused and fixated on him, um, we're going to be okay. I want to take this one step further. What time is it? Okay, got a little bit of time. So we've said that the original cities of refuge were places that people could go if they were to accidentally commit a murder before their trial. They could go there. And then we said that God, that when Moses blessed the tribes of Israel in Deuteronomy 33, um, that he said he was our refuge is where we see that term start. And then if we look at the fact that in the Psalms, David calls God his rock and refuge, um, and we see that he's our firm foundation, then let's take a look a little bit further. Um, Matthew, chapter 7, verse 24. I'm going to give you the point. The, that Jesus is our solid foundation. And Jesus said, I'm just reading for you. This is Jesus talking. Um, I added that in Jesus said for emphasis. But it says, everyone then <laughs> who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And it says, and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Do you guys know if we don't have a firm foundation? and we don't lean in on him, that all of our plans are going to crumble. Um, Pastor had talked about the difference between a covenant and a contract. And one thing that I thought was interesting is if you look at a contract, sometimes what we do is we write the contract for God. And we put all our terms on it, and we hand it to him. We say, God, you sign this. When in reality, he's the one who makes the agreement and works with us. It's not the other way around. Because he knows what's best for us. Like I said, sometimes we can be like little kids where, if you notice with children, you have to train them, right? So my niece um, is two, and if I let her to her own devices, she'll color on my walls, um, she'll eat candy all day long, and, you know, she probably would hurt herself if I just let her roam, right? Um, we need God sometimes to help us and structure us and give us some of those parameters because we just don't know. All right, so he's our firm foundation. I'm going to give you another one. And this is even more specific to show how not only is the Father, God the Father, but this is showing some symmetry, right? Because Jesus is God, right? The Trinity, the triune God. But to show that Jesus is God, check this out. Uh, Matthew 16:18 says, And I tell you, Peter, on this rock I will build my church. Okay, here we see that rock again, right? On this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, Jesus was a smart dude, is a smart dude, and he's using a play on words here. Do you guys know what Peter means in Greek? Petros, rock. It means a tiny rock, tiny stone. And Petra means foundation or boulder. 
So what he's saying is, I'm what you're going to build the church on. Me. I'm that firm foundation. I'm it, right? And you can see that that was just a very powerful statement. Let's keep going. So if we think about Jesus being our firm foundation, that's not the only place where we can sort of see that. But we see that in Acts chapter 4, that Peter had boldness, right? This is verses 11 and 12, but I'll paraphrase. But it just says that the stone that was rejected by you, this Jesus, is the stone that was rejected by you. So Jesus, again, being referenced as the stone of the rock. The builders, which has become the cornerstone. That Jesus is the cornerstone, the chief cornerstone. And then it says this, and there is salvation in no one else. So again, what have you been building on? What has been your foundation? Is it Jesus the rock? Or is it you? Is it this building? Is it something else? And when he says that there's no one else, he quotes Psalm 118.22. I love how the New Testament and the Old Testament just collide, right? So you can't say that one is better than the other, although the New Testament might be easier to read, right? Always reference and always application that we can take from the Old. So then in Ephesians, it says that you are no longer strangers and aliens. This is Ephesians 2.19. Through 22. But you're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Now listen to this in verse 20. Build on the foundation of the apostles, of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone. So it's saying the apostles and the prophets had learned from Christ, so don't just look at them, but Christ being the cornerstone, and in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Again, who's that cornerstone? Christ. So if you were to build a cake, a rectangular cake, I'm going to put my uncle on blast here for a second, loves cornbread, right? So my aunt makes cornbread on Sundays. His favorite pieces are the corners. If you were to dump out the cake on a round tin without the corners being intact, it'd probably crumble. Right? So again, Jesus being the connector, the branch that extends. If you guys think about the connection point that I am the vine, remaining connected, there's something very important about that connection about staying and remaining. Um, I'm on my phone all the time. It just is very easy to be. If you're not connected, you feel like all is lost. Have you ever tried to find directions without your phone? Oh, my gosh. I'm lost. Like, I cannot find anything without Waze. It's terrible. And I don't know how I did it before I had the, the Internet on my phone. But having that GPS system helps me go from place A to B. Now, there's some places we just know. 
But if you ask me to go somewhere I've never been before, I need the connector. I need my GPS. And that could also be referencing the Holy Spirit, too. Just give me a little nugget. Um, so it says, in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place. That's the verse 22 of that, of Ephesians. Dwelling place. What is another word for dwelling place? Refuge. Thank you. <laughs> the refuge. So we see God again being our firm foundation, the rock, and our refuge. The two go hand in hand. All right. I'll be out of here in a few minutes. In First Peter, um, it talks about coming to him. And this is in chapter 2. But it talks about the fact that he is a living stone that was rejected by men. And it says, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as spiritual houses. Now, the idea of that stone and that rock, that firm foundation, it's helping to build us up as better and better believers. And what I mean by that is I'm not saying that God won't love you more than he does right now because he never will stop loving you the same. But that that foundation helps us grow into better believers. And what I mean by that is, again, is that we are being sanctified every day. Every day we're becoming and looking more and more like Jesus. And the goal there is that with him being our firm foundation, we can continue to grow. So it says that you're being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ. So then it says, For it stands in Scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who don't. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stumbling block and rock of offense. They stumble because they disobeyed the word and they were destined to do so. But the point that I'm bringing as we bring this to a close is that, again, God's the place, the one that we can go to as a place of protection and safety. And outside of his will, we only rely on the fact that he's merciful. But when we're in him, there are blessings for the children of God to be in him. He's the head of our church, right? And I'm going to read one more verse, and then I'm going to give you some points to take away. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, it says, According to the grace of God, this is verses 10 and 11, given to me like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds on it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So what do we take from this, right? How do we take this and how do we apply this? Because I think sometimes it's hard for us to walk out these doors and know, God, I don't know how to use that message, but my prayer is that he would actually help us to uncover 
what that means for each one of us as we leave here. But I can give you a few things to think about. One, that there's joy in taking refuge in him. As we think about this Christmas season and what it really means, we know there's presents and it's great and sometimes we can get bogged down by gift giving. But we remember that something miraculous happened during this time. That God came to save us and he provided himself. Fully God and fully man to save you and I to be our connector. To connect us back to God. Because our foundation wasn't there. We had lost it. We had lost the connection. We had lost the foundation. And I'd argue we'd lost true refuge. So there's joy in that. Psalm 511 says, all who, you who take refuge in him be glad. So be joyful. There are blessings for those who take refuge in him. You can look at Psalm 212. And ultimately, there's salvation. Show the wonder of your love, you who save by your right hand those who take refuge in you. We know God has to do the drawing, but we know that there's salvation. He can do it. He can draw those that we know that aren't saved. And if you are saved and you've been feeling like, God, I'm not connected, my prayer for you is that you would take him as your refuge and you would remember the firm foundation. I love it in, uh, in Revelation when uh, God, I believe, was talking to the church at Ephesus. <clears throat> but he said, remember that which you used to do. Right? So implying that you did something right. And it says, go and do that. So God, help us to remember, if we know him, what we used to do and do it. And another thing is, he's our help in times of trouble. How many of you... Um, and you don't have to raise your hand, right now really need God's help. You really need his covering. You really need his refuge. You need to know that he's there, that he's a present help in time of trouble. You need to know that. He is that help. And the psalm, it verifies that in Psalm 46. And then remember that he is our firm foundation. You know the hymn that says, Christ the solid rock I stand? What's the next part? All other ground is sinking sand. He's your firm foundation. He's your cornerstone, and without him, we can't find true refuge. All right, so I'm just going to pray for us. Um, And I want you to, again, just whatever it is that you can take from this message, and I don't know what that is, We know he's our source of comfort. We know he's the unshakable, massive foundation and our source of protection. So today in this place, God, I I pray that you would help us to remember what you did. That we can't live off bread alone, but by every word. And we can't continue without the firm foundation, which is Jesus Christ. I'm praying for those who do not know you, that don't have a relationship with you, God, that you would draw them, that you would begin to just show them that you are our hiding place. You're our refuge, you're our rock in times of trouble, and in times when we're not in trouble. And our prayer is that you would 
transform us. Continue to help us remember that you're the connector, that you're the one that changes, and that by dying on the cross, for those that know, know you, that you took every sin and put it on yourself, that you wiped away the slate for us so that we could be new. And we thank you for that. Again, for anyone here that doesn't know you, I just again pray that you would, you would transform. And for those of us that do, help us to remember. When you say do this in remembrance of you, help us remember the cross. Help us to remember that you died for us. And you didn't just die, but you rose again. And the Holy Spirit helps us to continue to remember that and live it out. So help us to live out your word. In your name we pray. Amen.